Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. We'll be right back to today's show, but before we do, I want to let you know that you can get a free copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, when you leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, either on desktop or on your phone. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, look up Think Unbroken, click follow in the top right, and then go and leave a review at the bottom. And when you leave that review, screenshot it and send it over to book.thinkunbroken.com where you can upload your contact and mailing information, and we will send you a free copy of this award-winning, best-selling book, absolutely free, including shipping. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to upload your screenshot review from Apple Podcasts for the Think Unbroken podcast. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. I'll see you. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. 
I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. I'm very excited to be back with you with another episode with my guest, Eric Zimmer, who is a behavioral coach, author, and the host of the One You Feed podcast. Eric, my friend, how are you? What is happening in your world today? I am good, and I am happy to see you again. It's, we, it seems like it wasn't that long ago that we got to talk, and I really enjoyed it, so I'm glad to, glad to do it again. Yeah, same. And and knowing a little bit about your backstory and who you are, I was like, man, I, I want to have you on this show because, well, I won't tell your backstory for you. So for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Well, there's always the long and the short version of that. I'll give you maybe the medium version. Um, you know, I'm the, the host of the One You Feed podcast. As, as you mentioned, I do behavioral coaching. I created a, a, a program called Spiritual Habits. Um, I spent a lot of time in the software industry in a variety of different roles. I founded a solar energy company. But uh, so much of my story goes back to, um, you know, sort of the, the big moment in my life was getting sober at the age of 24. I was a, a homeless heroin addict. Um, I was really sick, um, was facing a lot of potentially a lot of jail time. And, um, so, you know, I got sober at that point and then, you know, from then till, you know, till now has been a ongoing process of continuing to, uh, heal and grow into the person that, that I really want to be. Where did that start for you? You know, I think so. Well, let's back up a little bit because I think most people are going to be like, well, how the fuck do you become a heroin addict at 24? Like, <laughs> what, what, what was the causation? Like as someone who was a drug addict at 12 years old, popping pills, let me first say that I get it. Like I was seeking anything to disappear. What, what, what led you down that path? How did you end up in that position? Well, I mean, the, 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 the straight factual version is, you know, at, it, in high school, I started, uh, you know, playing with drugs and alcohol like a lot of people did. Um, you know, most people try it. Um, I had a unusual reaction to it right from the beginning. You know, I used in unusual ways. It didn't become a problem um, until uh, I, when I turned 18. Um, and, you know, f when I turned 18, um, 
I was in a situation and I'd actually been kind of straight edge for a couple years and I started using again and it was like I was off to the races. And so I started by, you know, drinking and smoking pot and, uh, you know, then that just sort of escalated and I was in the uh, sort of rock and roll scene in Columbus, Ohio and uh, I went to band practice one day or, you know, for a while and I was like, what? how are these people more messed up than I am? Like, what is going on here? And, uh, they, you know, turned out they were, they were using heroin and I, uh, tried it and I loved it. And it, um, you know, I don't know that it was that difficult or that different for me than drinking and smoking pot. It's just more physically addictive and it's a whole lot more expensive. Um, and it's harder to get. And so the consequences for me ratcheted up very, very quickly. And in some ways, I, I look at that as a fortunate thing, because I think I might have been able to keep drinking and, and you know, and, and smoking pot for a, a many more years than I did. You know, I, I, I sort of burnt my life to the ground pretty quickly, which with the uh, benefit of hindsight, I'm like, well, that's actually a pretty good thing. We'll be right back to today's show. But first, I need to ask you a question. Are you feeling stuck? Are you feeling like you don't have the support to go to the next level in your healing journey? Are you feeling like you wish you had a little bit more support from not only myself, but the Unbroken Nation? Well, my friend, I want to invite you to come and join our live weekly coaching sessions in Think Unbroken. All you have to do is go to keys, K-E-Y-S, keys.thinkunbroken.com to sign up and join us today with 100% money back, no questions asked, guaranteed and no contract or commitment every week for the next year. You can come and be a part of our live coaching sessions each Monday as we dive deep into not only answering your questions, but questions from the unbroken nation and help you take all of the information that you learn in the podcast, in the courses and other areas of this journey, bring them into your life and use it in a way that is practical, life-changing and transformative. So my friend, join us at keys.thinkunbroken.com and we will see you this Monday. You know what's funny is I have the same thought. I'm like, I'm really glad I destroyed my life when I was 25. That feels like the right time frame to have done it. Yeah. Um, but I but I also realize like, you know, there there's a lot of extenuating circumstances that leads a person down that path. And and my own journey just feeling like, dude, like I, growing up in the Midwest, living in Indiana, like struggling to survive. It was like, what do kids do? They drink and they get high and they have sex and they if you're me, you're still cars and you break into houses and you shoot guns at people like psycho. And you're like, you know, that's, that's the environment. So, so you're in this and now did you graduate high school? I did. Uh, it was interesting though, because the first two years of high school did not go well. They went very poorly. And after my, after my sophomore year, my guidance counselor said to me, look, we can, we've got two options at this point. We've got this alternative program. It's a small school down the road. There's 150 kids and it, it, they do school a little different down there. And I'm willing to send you down there and see what it's like, or I can expel you, but I am not doing another year of this. You know, I mean, I was, I, we were engaged in an epic game of cat and mouse where I simply was determined to go to school as few days as possible. And so, um, so they sent me off to this alternative program, and at first I hated it. I don't think I would have, but then um, it just, 
it became this incredible thing for me. And it got me through high school. I don't think I would have gotten through high school any other way without it. Um, and so it turned out to be a really positive thing for me. Um, but then after high school is when I started drinking uh, again and, um, you know, never went to college um, just because my my actions were, you know, I was I was kind of a full-time alcoholic and drug addict. And, and like you, I mean, I, my childhood was, um, I was always in trouble. I mean, I think from the age of like, you know, eight, I was a, a kleptomaniac, you know, and I was probably into vandalism before that. I mean, I just was kind of always in, in trouble um, from, from a very early age. You know, I, I, we definitely have that in common. Part of me often wonders is like, you know, we, we're not that far apart in age. And so I think to myself, you know, there's a generation of kids, we would just come home and do our, whatever we wanted to. Right. And from a very young age, I was left to my own devices at like seven years old. I'm like cooking, I'm by myself at home. It's <laughs> chaos, man. And, and, you know, in, in high school it's funny, I had the same exact thing. My first two years, nightmarish. Right. And then I sat down with the Dean and he basically goes, look, dude, we're expelling you. You got busted selling drugs. It's game over. Uh, here's what's going to happen. There's an alternative program. Same <laughs> thing. You're either going to do this or good luck with the rest of your life. And I was like, all right. Now, of course, I still didn't graduate high school, but you know, I think that's part of the. <laughs> I think that's part of the journey of the chaos. So, all right. So you make it through high school. You're you head back into this lifestyle, and you find yourself now what I would assume, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so you please take this away, but I, I would assume kind of like where I found myself where I was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this fix. And, and my fix was like women and alcohol and partying. And, mm -hmm. you know, I just, it was like, dude, I don't care if I'm up till four in the morning and I got to get up at five. Like I'm going to do the craziest shit. What was that? What you were experiencing? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was kind of it. It was I mean, I worked a series of really crappy jobs, um, you know, in restaurants, um, you know, doing whatever I could do to just sort of barely make ends meet and, you know, played in a in a bunch of bands and um, yeah, partied all the time. That was that was life, you know, for from 18 to you know nearly 25. Were you still in Columbus? I well, part of that time, I went to um, I moved to San Francisco for a couple of years, um, thinking that might uh, help me, um, which it did not. I mean, my first night in San Francisco, uh, I came to on a park bench somewhere in Oakland. I had you know, I had no idea where I was. I had no idea how I got there, and that more or less, you know, it, that that's like what life in Columbus was like. And I just kept doing it out there. And I ended up coming back to Columbus when I got arrested in San Francisco and got in a lot of trouble for stealing and uh, just sort of hightailed it back to Columbus. And, and so uh, I was in Columbus a lot of that time, but not all of it. You know, the thing that comes to mind, Eric, is that that old adage is like, wherever you go, there you are. Yep. And, and that was, dude, same. It's funny. These parallels are incredible to me. And, but, but I think the unfortunate side is these parallels are so common for so many people. And, you know, as, as I shared with you, it was this rock bottom moment that ultimately is the thing that transformed my life. What, what was the crux of change for you? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I can I can tell you about you know the last uh, the the time that you know that I got sober then, um, and I was sober for eight years, and then I went out and drank again, and that's kind of another interesting part of my story. Um, but I can tell you about kind of what happened that got me sober for that eight year period, and I will. I think what that misses though is all the stuff that happened up to that point. You know, like I moved to San Francisco because I knew things weren't right. I knew I was out of control. And I thought, well, maybe if I do this. And so there were all these attempts in those in those years, you know, very halting, very occasional, but there were attempts to try and do something differently. You know, I ended up moving to this little town in Connecticut on the on the water in Connecticut, uh, thinking if I go there, they don't have heroin there. And I will, you know, that's my problem. And so I went there and I drank and I partied and I did all that. And then sure enough, it wasn't very long before I was, you know, lying to people saying, I need to borrow your car for whatever reason and driving it two and a half hours to a city that I knew would have heroin. So that same thing, kind of trying that. But the thing that got me, you know, quote unquote sober was, um, I got, I was living in a van and the van was owned by this restaurant that I worked at. And this restaurant was where I was stealing, um, a fair amount of the money. I had like a $300 a day heroin habit at that point. And, uh, one night I was working and a couple police officers came in the front door and they walked all the way through the restaurant and they kept coming and they kept coming and they came into the kitchen and they said, are you Eric Zimmer? And I said, well, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I want to answer that question. Right. Um, and, uh, I was hauled out of there in handcuffs. And, um, in that moment, I lost the place I was living. I lost my money, the, the way I was going to get drugs, uh, the, the, the finances. And I went into detox because I was simply just out of ideas. I just was like, I don't know what to do and I'm going to be really sick tomorrow and I don't know where I'm going to come up with $300. So I went into detox and while I was in detox, they said, well, you really need more help than like a four day detox, man. Like you need to, you know, you've been in and out of rehabs. Like none of this has worked. You need, you need to go to our 30 day program. And I said, no, I don't think so. And I went back to my room and I just had, as, as we refer to them, you know, in, in recovery, uh, a moment of clarity. And my moment of clarity was like, if I go back out there, I'm either going to die or I'm going to go to jail, right? I had hepatitis C. I weighed a hundred pounds. Um, I had, I, you know, I was facing uh, several major felonies at that point. Um, it just, I just had that moment where I was like, this is, I, I, I just need to go into this 30 day treatment program. And that really sort of kicked off my recovery. So that's kind of what did it, you know, but as I said, there were lots of moments leading up to that. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny because somebody asked me recently, they're like, well, what was rock bottom like for you? And I was like, dude, it was like a thousand fucking rock bottoms. Yeah. It was like, it was like, how many rock bottoms can I have? And then it was, you know, for lack of a better way to phrase it for me, it was like coming to Jesus moment where I was like, dude, what are you going to do here? It's this massive clarity washed over me, realizing that I was letting myself down, that I'm playing the victim, that I'm blaming everybody else. When you're in this moment, you know, and you're like contemplating, 
that's the area in which everything changes for people, mm -hmm. right? You have a decision to make. And hearing this in this moment, like, it, how do you... How do you navigate clarity when like this poison is trying to get its way out of your body? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it is one of those mysteries. I do think I've talked to a lot of people. I've been around recovery for, I don't know, 25 plus years. You know, there were a few years I went back out drinking, but I've been around people in recovery for a long time. I've interviewed countless people. And honestly, how, why some of us get it and some of us don't is a mystery to me. I don't know what caused me in that moment to say, okay, yeah, I'll go, you know? And then what caused me to stay in treatment? And then, you know, because I know so many people who did a lot of the things I did and they're not here today. They didn't make it, you know? Um, and I had, I, I know a lot of people who didn't make it also because I think I had a lot of advantages over a lot of people who come into recovery. Um, I was, I, I think I had, I had, um, yeah, I had some advantages, but even other people I know who had those same advantages, I don't know why I'm here and they're not. So, I mean, I can tell you kind of what I did, but how I found the clarity. What I do think is interesting is we talk a lot in recovery about, um, consequence and hitting bottom. And I do think there is an element of that that's important. There has to be some degree of like, this really sucks. Like, like, but I don't think that's enough. What I think happened somehow for me was that around the same time that was happening, somehow there was some hope that was also interjected. And I think the combination of like being sort of seeing the having the consequences and, and the and the fear and the 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 reason to stay sober because of the consequences and then also being somehow given hope that maybe it could actually get different was those two things I think makes for sort of a fertile ground for recovery to sprout from because I'd certainly had um I'd certainly had the, 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 the rock bottoms, maybe not that low, but I mean, I'd certainly had them before and it didn't, it didn't do anything. So I, you know, I don't know what made that moment different. Um, but there was enough that was different. And then I was willing to sort of day by day, do my best from there to kind of live into that. Yeah. I, I resonate with that a lot. You know, I, I think about, these moments of you know, finding out another one of my friends has been murdered and just being like, what advantage do I have that they don't same neighborhood, same family style, same education. Yep. And it's like, here I am all these years later and they're not. And you think to yourself like, wow, that, that must mean something. You know, and, and so often, you know, people will throw these opportunities away. And and I, I'll say this, when I was like, fuck this, I'm cleaning my life up, it was three years of just massive suffering, Eric, <laughs> where I was just like, dude, oh my God, I just did that thing again. This is a nightmare. And the one thing that you alluded to that I held on to so strongly that I think was truly a catalyst for where I'm at today was hope. Yeah, I was just like, somehow I think this is going to fucking work. Just can I show up today? Can I do the thing? 
so often on shows and podcasts and these kind of people just jump. They're like, and then everything was better. What was it like for you in that space of, all right, I'm going to step into the unknown. I'm going to do 30 days. I'm going to try to be sober. You know, like you, I look at it in some ways. There's a, there's a real specialness to that time for me. You know, there was a lot of beauty in, in what I was doing. And there was a lot of, you know, a lot of pain and suffering. It did not feel good. I mean, I was doing drugs and alcohol for a reason, you know, and I took those away and I wasn't suddenly like, oh, everything's better, right? I took those away and I was like, oh, I, I kind of see why I was, you know, th there's a reason, you know, and, and that's the thing I think that we often don't talk about, like you said, with recovery is we, we have this like, oh, when you stop using your life will get better. Well, yes, probably in some ways, but in some ways your internal life may not feel better. You might actually feel worse for a while. You know, you might actually feel worse. And um, I often say, you know, getting or, or being sober, I think is awesome. Getting sober is kind of nightmarish to me. You know, like I, I stay sober a lot of times because I'm simply like, I don't ever want to have to do it again. <laughs> like it's this is OK. I got this. This is pretty straightforward. I can handle this. Getting sober to me, you know, has always been it's been it's been a miserable sort of, um, you know, it's, it's a very difficult experience. Um, and now I think I've forgotten the, the, the question. Yeah, no, you're fine. Uh, you know, I think <laughs> about this, this space of in that sobriety, I think the heart, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this. I think the, the hardest aspect of it is the actually having to sit with yourself. Yeah. And, and I recall like, like I never thought I was an alcoholic. Um, I still, to this day, don't, I never thought I was a drug addict. I never thought I was a sexaholic, you know, whatever that thing a holic was work, whatever it may be. I was just like anything but feelings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what's interesting for me is, and your, your and I's backgrounds are a little bit different. I mean, you, your your trauma is you know a lot of what you know in the trauma world we might call capital t trauma right mm -hmm. and my trauma is a lot of what we would call lowercase t trauma like just a long time of sort of being you know uh sort of neglected and um you know not just just not not parental figures that knew what to do with a child like me um and so for me the the big the big feeling for me, a lot of it was I couldn't stand how I think I'd gotten so good at deadening my feelings even before I started doing drugs and alcohol that drugs and alcohol in some ways for me were the only way I could ever feel alive. Mm -hmm. And I felt dead otherwise. And so the feeling that was really hard for me to sit with was that that just sort of absolute blankness inside that absolute just nothing seems to matter nothing seems to have any point everything seems gray and drab and then i drink or use in the world the world at least for a little while seems to look like it's worth living for a little while and then i get sober again and it's back to that like why bother what's the point 
feeling. Yeah. There, there's like a self tyranny and nihilism that comes along with that feeling. Yeah, you know, at least for me, that that's how it was, and you know, I I've found that now it's like I can have a glass of wine and my life isn't upside down, and and that's come from realizing, like you said, there was a reason, dude. The reason I was partying like a psycho is because like. I had not stepped into any aspect of value for myself. And, and I think that's unfortunate uh, and uh, an unfortunate truth for many, many people. So you're going through this, you're in this process, you're stepping into sobriety. I, I assume that in this, you were probably like trying to rebuild your relationship with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got sober in a, in traditional 12 step, you know, AA in central Ohio in 1995, right? Like it was a, you know, it, it so there was, um, you know, a, a big focus was, um, building a relationship with a higher power, um, you know, creating, you know, repairing relationships around you. But yeah, so much of it, I think so much of my journey in sobriety has been, yes, building a relationship with myself, so that I'm comfortable in my own skin, you yeah. know, so that I, I feel like, you know, that I don't have the need to change my consciousness all the time. I went, I want to find the right way to phrase this the journey I went through into understanding what you just said was so incredibly arduous that I, I did not want to live any longer mm. because it was like being me is really hard. How did you step into that? I guess I could trot out the old one day at a time cliche. <laughs> you know, how did I step into it? Um, with a lot of, uh, a lot of help and a lot of support and a lot of modeling for, from people who went, who went before me and, um, and a lot of reading and a lot of, yeah, all, all of the above. I mean, therapy, reading. Um, you told me I couldn't use the J word, so I won't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that J word's journaling, by the way. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, but yeah, talking, you know, talking to people. I, there's, there's, there's a number of things about 12-step programs that, that I don't love. And I sometimes I'm a little envious of people who get sober today because there's so many things on offer um that simply weren't when in 1995 um they just weren't and um and yet for me the the thing that was so critically important was to be around other people who were were like me you know and and to hear other people share and to to hear myself share and and to talk about what was going on i think that's that was the, those were some of the early, really important steps. Yeah. I I've seen that myself. And for me, it was stepping into men's group therapy. Mm -hmm. Like I, I literally went across the country to join this group. Cause I was like anything it takes, you know, and I, and I don't share this often publicly, but you know, growing up, I used to go to AA with my mom. 
when I was like seven, eight years old and you would just watch this and I'd be like, but can't they just stop? Right. <laughs> what, what is happening here? And then you realize it's, it's, it's never the thing that's the problem. It's the thing that you're not dealing with that leads to the problem. Yeah. And so now you, you faced this, you stepped into the willingness to figure out who the hell you are. You're asking for help. You're doing the things that I would argue. Look, it's acknowledgement, it's community, it's asking for help, it's follow through, it's action, it's all yeah. those things. So talk about sobriety just as a whole, the experience of that as you stepped into it in this newfound place of knowing who Eric is. Or at least figuring out who Eric is. Well, it's really interesting because I did mention that uh, after about eight years sober, I went out and uh, drank again. And um, I don't mean like had a glass of wine now and again. I mean like got, you know, drank and, and, and went back to smoking pot to the point that I had to get sober again. I've now been sober 15 years since then. Um, but I clearly had not... Um, learned enough about myself because I went, you know, like I said, I did go back out. And so, um, there was, you know, there was, there was a lot more, uh, learning to do and that. And when I came back after that, um, I feel like I went even deeper into, um, really getting to know myself at that point, like you did, I did some really pivotal men's therapy for myself. I got, I had to really think deeply, like what does, if I'm going to come back and go to, to AA, which says that a spiritual life is the way we get better. What does that mean to me? Because the first time around, I think I just made myself believe what people around me believed. And that was enough to get me sober, but it wasn't enough for me to handle things when some things in my life went really upside down. And, um, so I think it was, you know, that, that knowing who I am and growing into it was a ongoing and still is obviously an ongoing process. Yeah. I, you know, I tell people all the time when they come into coaching, when they get into programs, when they step into think unbroken, it's like, this is a rest of your life game. Yes. Like, like when you make this decision, you're going to realize the healing journey isn't over just because you listened to a podcast or read a book or, <laughs> you know, went to a conference one time. Because even, dude, 12 years, almost 12 years into this, I have my moments where I'm like, holy crap, dude, this feels like everything is backwards. And then you realize, like, wait a second, hold on, pause. What's actually happening? Why am I triggered? Let me go through and assess the tools that I have. And then if I need to reach out, one of, one of the great benefits I've been able to, to acquire in my life is a, a therapist that I can speed dial. And, you know, that's that's one of those things where it's like on the rare occasion, I'm like, yo, I need a session this week. When can we make this happen? And and I think that's so much about it. You still, even after all the work, you have to keep being willing to ask for help. So you go through this, you're, you're, you, you have this understanding and you fall backwards. Yeah. And this is where most people quit. They're like, eight years, my life is a disaster. <laughs> I cannot believe I did this. I might as well quit. Why didn't you? 
Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? We'll be right back to today's episode, but I want to take a moment and invite you to Think Unbroken Conference. That's right. Our next conference is happening right around the corner this December with amazing speakers from around the world who are leaders in personal development, trauma education, mindset, and more. All you have to do to register to watch for free, that's right, $0. Come and join us is go to myunbrokenlife.com, register and sign up. You can get access to to the free event. Watch it live with us this December. It'll be myself speaking along with amazing human beings like Anthony Trucks, Jamie Bronstein, Leslie Logan, and a special interview that I'm doing with Dr. Gabor Mate that has never before been released. So come and join us, myunbrokenlife.com. All you have to do is put in your email. We'll send you over the registration. You'll be able to come and join us, watch live. And then if you want access to the recordings or more information there for you to keep them forever. But in the meantime, go sign up. Up, block it off on your calendar. This is going to be a transformational experience that you do not want to miss. Head over to myunbrokenlife.com to register for free. And until next time, be unbroken. Well, I did for a number of years. I mean, I drank and 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 smoked pot again after I went back out for probably three to four years. Um, it's really interesting because the first time that I got sober. I had pretty much burnt my life to the ground. The second time around, when I went back out and I was drinking and, 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 and smoking weed, and when I mean smoking weed, I mean like sun up to sundown kind of, kind of thing, you know, um, I was, I was, I had made a career for myself. I was, I was in a professional career, um, in the software development space. Um, I was, um, making more money than I'd ever made. Everything on the outside looked really good. Um, but I knew on the inside, I had the insight of knowing what it felt like to be, what it felt like inside to be out of control. And I knew that um, I was out of control. And I knew that it was a matter of time until consequences started coming. Um, and so... Yeah, it was really hard to come back. It was hard to come back because A, like I said, on the outside, everything looked fine. And so it's, it, I just, I had not had my uh, ass kicked as bad at that point, right? I just hadn't yet. Um, it was a little more intellectual. The first time it was like I had just been, I mean, the, the pain of being whipped was fresh, you know? Now it was like, well, I really don't want to get whipped, you know? Um, so, so there was that. And then there was the, yeah, to your point, it was like, I can't believe I've got to go back. I mean, I was like, you know, when I was in AA, it was like Mr. AA, right? Like sponsoring so many people. And now I got to go back and be like, uh, I got a day. It was hard. I mean, the second time around was harder for me than the first time. There was no doubt to me that it, it felt harder the second time. Um, and I just... I, I, I look at the second time, I'm like, I don't even know how I kept going. But for some reason, I did. I just one day at a time, you know, I kept one of the things was I kept looking, I had a son and I kept looking at my son who was, you know, let's say, eight or nine. And I kept thinking to myself, do I really need to get in a car accident with him in the car because I've been drinking? Do I need to do that in order to know that this is a problem? 
And I just, th that sort of thinking, I just kept going, no, I, I guess I don't have to ride the elevator all the way to the bottom. Um, but it, w it was tough. Did your family know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, um, yeah, it's an interesting story because, um, yeah, every, everyone knew that I had gone back out. And I basically had said, look, I don't think I'm actually, after all, I'm an alcoholic, right? I'm now, I got sober at 24. I'm now 31, let's say. And I've built, I've gone from being, you know, a homeless heroin addict to, to a pretty successful software executive, right? I've done well, you know, and I can, I can look at my life and go, look, you know, yeah, I was 24. I was doing heroin. That's a terrible idea. Like I've done, you know, I've done all this healing. I've done all this growth, you know, like, I just don't think I've got it. I, you know, I think I can handle it, right? Like I make good decisions in other areas of my life. I'm pretty sure I can make good decisions around this. Well, it turned out, no, I couldn't. Um, and it wasn't like the minute that I went out and had a drink again, that my life crumbled, you know, in, in AA in recovery, we used to be so dramatic. Like if I picked up a drink again, you know, I'd be out, you know, selling my ass for, you know, cocaine in three hours. Right. Now, that's not what happened. I had a drink, nothing happened, you know, but over a period of a couple years, it got back to the point where nothing was more important to me than getting high. It was more important to me than my job, my son, anything, you know, and I hate to say that, but it's true. And, but I was able to sort of see that and that, you know, I, I had that, um, again, a little bit of clarity enough to go, uh, this is happening. And, you know, I had a, I had a wife at the time, we're not still married and, um, it was a, it was, it was, lots of things were not good about that marriage and it, it ended, but she had sort of had enough of me at that point. Um, even though I think, you know, she continued drinking right after I got sober, but she, she had had enough of me. And, um, I mean, th there was a, there was a very clear precipitating event that time. And it was, I went out, I'd been on a multi-day binge, like heavy drinking round the clock. And I went over to a friend's house one night and the next thing I know I'm coming to, and it's like 10 AM the next morning. And, um, I, I just sort of freaked out because I was like, Oh shit. Like I did not make it home to get my son up and take him to school. Now my, 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 she wasn't my wife then, but she was there. She got him up and took him to school. Right. But I had that moment of like, oh my God, like what if he had woken up all by himself, you know, at, at, like you did at seven in a house by himself on his own. Um, and the combination of that and how sick I was physically in that moment, got me to go. I was like, all right, I'm going to an AA meeting. It sounds like the worst thing in the world, but I'm going, you know, and, and that, that's kind of how I made my way back in. Yeah. And I, I think the willingness to acknowledge that you're about to have to suffer again is really powerful because in my opinion, it's like that acknowledgement is what brings you forward, you mm -hmm. know, because for some people, the most 
difficult thing that they can do is just raise their hand and say, I need guidance. I need help. Somebody, for the love of God, save me. I'm on the edge of the building. Yep. Right. And, and the bravest thing that you can do is just be like, yep, me over here. Yes. Somebody. Hi. And, and, and I yep. wish I want to implore that to people like recognizing like we we can't do this alone. Like, and it's not even necessarily like you have to go to AA or you have to do a Think Unbroken course or you have to, you know, check out Eric's programs. It's like, do fucking something. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I, and I could not agree more. I do think we can't, we can't do this alone. I mean, there, you hear the every once in a blue moon story about somebody who's like, well, you know, I just quit and I never went, I never did anything. And, you know, who knows what the story is with those people, but the vast, vast, vast majority of people need some support. Um, and there's lots of different ways to get it these days. I think that's a great thing. And so, um, but yeah, find, find some help. And, and that's a big part of, again, a parallel in our journey, me going, okay, wait a second. I'm going to just offer support to the world as I'm in this, trying to figure out what is happening. And then that thus transpired into what it is now. It's like it's taken on its own life. And, and that's happened for you as well. Talk to, talk to me about this. Where, where does this idea of service come in? Not only had you been a sponsor before, so obviously there's something in you like, I want to give back. But now having built something as great as your programs and the book and you know uh, the podcast, which is a phenomenal show, like, where does that want for you come from? It's interesting because, you know, going back to that story about high school, when I, when I went to the alternative program, I was, like I said, I was a troubled kid. I mean, I was always in trouble. Um, I was drinking and using in unusual ways. Um, and I went to that alternative program and I ended up founding a tutoring program for disadvantaged children where, you know, we took high school kids high school people from, you know, the high school I was at, it was a, you know, upper middle class suburban high school. And we went and we, we tutored, uh, kids who were disadvantaged. And all of a sudden, like I became like a model citizen. And what I learned then was like, I, w the reason that happened was because doing something for other people just lit something up in me. There was also the entrepreneurial aspect, which I also recognize is a, is a key part of, of me making things out of nothing. Um, so when I got into AA and I started finding, you know, I had, I was, I was around people in AA that said service, do service, do service. And, and so I did, and I realized I loved it. Um, and then, you know, to be honest, I kind of got away from it a little bit and, um, as I was, as I was sober a little bit longer, I founded a solar energy company and I, I poured all my heart and soul into that for a while. And that eventually I shut it down. And, and when I shut that down, I just hit a point where I was a combination of bored and not doing well, uh, in my personal life, um, that I got the idea to do the podcast. And I just thought, you know, this sounds like it would be good for me. It sounds like it would be fun. And maybe it'll help somebody else. I mean, I had no idea. Um, but I knew I was reading these sort of books anyway. I knew I was thinking about these sort of things anyway. And I thought, why not just give this a shot? It sounds like it'll be fun. And, um, and then it, it actually 
you know, went very well. And I realized that like, oh, wow, I'm kind of back where I'm happiest when I am um, doing my best to, to, you know, help other people and serve other people. Yeah, I, I resonate. I had a mentor years ago tell me, he's like, dude, when you're at your lowest, go help other people. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, like, you know, I, I thought about this just the other day. I'd never said this. I thought about this the other, if I didn't do this, if I wasn't doing think unbroken, what the hell would I be doing with my life? Yeah. You know, and it's like six years into this thing and, and having this big mission and wanting to build this incredible, just tool of service for people. It's like, man, this is just, it fires me up and, and people will be like, well, you're, you're crazy. No one. I literally have friends who are like, you work more than anyone I've ever met. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I love it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I do think that is one of the things that AA figured out really, really well. And what, you know, which was this basic idea that like the surest way to remain sober is to help somebody else. But the amazing thing, the insight, I think that, 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 that was there that I think is so important and, and sometimes we gloss over it is that like, let's say, I, let's say I were to go to an AA meeting tonight and I'm 15 years sober and somebody walks in the door and they're two days sober and I have a conversation with after them, right? It's easy to see how like, Oh, Eric is 15 years sober and he's helping this other person. He's passing on everything he learned. And, and it's easy for it to look like the benefit is flowing from me to them. And sure, some is, but in equal measure, it's flowing from them to me. And that I think was the, the, the insight that AA really found and hit on and, and really developed was when one alcoholic is talking to another, there is a reciprocal magic that happens there that helps both people equally. And I think that's really important. And I often say, because a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to ask for help. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to burden anybody else. I don't want, and I, and I said, let's not, it's, it's not the way this works. Like when you go and you ask somebody else who's been through what you're going through and, and, and you ask them for help, they're getting as much out of it as you are, you know? And, and so that for me is the, is the, is that really beautiful insight that it's a, it's this, it's this two way street that, that I think is one of the most beautiful things in the world is when we connect. And I heard somebody say, um, uh, recently, you know, you're, 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 you're basically, um, you know, you're, you're, I can't remember the phrase, but it's that basic idea of, you know, when we transfer our, our difficulty, our trauma, our addiction, when we transfer all those things into being able to help others, then those things cease to be a burden and a problem in our life. And they, we start to be able to look at them and go, oh, this really, you know, this was a gift in some ways. Yeah. And it can be. And if you're willing to step into the darkness and the difficulty of discovering the gift, like it, it can be something really powerful. I mean, you know, I think about all of the people that your show has reached and touched and the voices that have been on and the stories and the experiences. And it's just like, that's what the world needs more of. Right. And this, this idea about being able to step into it, it almost feels like 
this aspect where it's like damn near spiritual, man. Sometimes I'll yeah. throw a show on. I'm like, it's like, I just went to church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so they should put on uh, my, my conversation with you because that we're definitely going to church. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it's like, there has to be this willingness right? There has to be this willingness to step into the vulnerability. Now, let, let's be clear, like you and I, one of the things I do want to bring note to, we're able to have this conversation with that spectrum of emotion removed from it, right? That that where you're sharing it and it's sucking you in and next thing you know, you're on the ground in the fetal position. Totally. And I think that I want people to hold on to that. We, When we're talking about asking for help, when we're sharing our stories, when we're in this, it, this isn't the first time, right? We're especially definitely not in a public forum. And it took me a decade to get to this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, I am significantly, uh, I imagine older than you. I mean, I'm, I have been around recovery for 27 years. You know, again, a few years of those, a few of those years I was back out drinking, but the, I mean, so what, 23 years, you know, I've been working on this stuff for a long time. Um, and that's not to say that like, you know, you know, it's going to take you 23 years for it to get good. I think it can get better very, very quickly, but yeah, there is a definite, um, it's a, it's a very different, um, place that you're describing what what you're just saying made me think of something and it, what it made me think of was you know when we think about being vulnerable um you know i realized at one point there was the basic vulnerability of saying i need help i have a problem and and you know okay i did that and i went in and, and I, I did that but there's there's lots of there's a lot of vulnerability uh that that continues to come after that, that we have to keep doing. And, you know, I find for myself, and I found this, you know, didn't take me that long being sober, you know, get a couple years in and suddenly start sponsoring people. And all of a sudden it's harder to be vulnerable because you think I should, you know, you know, I should have this figured out, you know, I should have this figured out. And, you know, you let that go on longer and, and suddenly become somebody who coaches other people and has a podcast and, and you know, is, is known for some of this stuff. Like, I still have to work on being like, you know, I don't always have it all together. How do I, and it gets, it can get hard to ask for help, I find, at this stage in my journey because there is that sense like, well, shouldn't I, you know, shouldn't I always be okay? And the answer is no, of course not. Life is still life. No matter how good you do recovery, no matter how much therapy you do, you know, there's a Buddhist saying I love, and it's that, you know, uh, life has the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. You're going to get both. doesn't matter what you do. You're going to get both. And when the sorrows hit, doesn't, they still hurt. Yeah, they do. And, and I resonate with that. And one of the discoveries I've had to make in my own healing journey is just being like, at some point I've had to go to a next level in terms of who I'm seeking guidance from, because when I feel like I'm on the same level as people, and this is not to be dismissive, but if I feel like I'm the same level, my brain will not let me consume whatever they're telling me. 
it's like the this weird defix, defensive mechanism. I know where it comes from built into my childhood. And I go, okay, cool. Since I know that, I need to go to a super expert, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really interesting. I actually have, it's right here. It's a little pink post-it note. And it says, it helps to talk even when you know the answer. And, the, and, and what that is, is that I will get in a position where I'm like, I know, I look, you, you do this long enough. That's not like there's any groundbreaking answers out there. Like I know what to do. I know what the answer is. I know what the response is. It still helps me to share what's happening to me, to another human being, even if I know what they're going to say. Because that's not what it's about. Some of the time that's what it's about. Some of the time it is about getting a perspective that you can't get uh, on your own. But some of the time it's simply that connection to another human being and saying, look, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm hurting. And just having somebody be there with you and you not be alone. And so I have to remind myself of that often that like, yes, I think I'm pretty sure what they'll tell me. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't go reach out and, and, and share how I'm feeling. Because if I don't, if it's it, otherwise, then I just am locked inside myself all the time. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the dangerous place, right? That's the yeah. dangerous game. Uh, there's a pro and con to that, right? The, the pro is that you're going to find out real fast you got some shit you need to work on. The, the con is that you're going to find out real fast you got some <laughs> shit you need to work on. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, abso it, absolutely. You know, and I, you know, I often think of this is making me think of this idea of sometimes thinking about our healing journey as like a spiral staircase. We tend to think it should be linear, right? And, and it's not. And, and what I have found is you, you end up back at like, oh, okay, this again, this again. You know, and I think thinking of it like a spiral staircase is helpful. Like if you're going up a spiral staircase and there's a painting on the wall, right? You're going to come by that painting three or four times. But hopefully each time you're coming by at a slightly higher level. So it's like the things that are problematic for us, the big issues, the things that we wrestle with, for my experience is we're going to come back around to them a few different times, but ideally we're doing it at a slightly higher level. And that helps us from, at least for me, helps me not get discouraged thinking, oh, I should be past that. Well, no, you know, it's, it's there again, um, but I'm, I'm in a slightly different place with it than I was last time. Yeah, I actually really love that analogy. I often think about the fact that we're literally spinning around the sun right now. Chances mm. are at some point you're coming back to where you started. And, yeah. and, and the hope is that when you get back to that, you now will leverage the tools that you've learned over this last rotation that you can execute against that circumvent the potential for rock bottom because you already played that game. And yep. so now it's kind of, I look at it, I go, okay, all right, I fell back, I made a mistake, I fucked up. All right, wait a second. I've been here, I've done this. It's like, you know, a team going to the championship for their seventh time. They've done it. You've been there. You've played this game. Yeah. You know what it is. So now can you go in there with the game plan to get yourself out of it, right? And, and I think yes. that's the key. 
Yeah, I mean, and I've shared on my show a lot that, you know, depression is something that I think I had from when I was just, I mean, very young. And it is something that has been uh, an on again, off again visitor uh, to this day. And what I think I know now is when it's around, I know how to do it a whole lot better. I know how I know how to handle it way better than I used to, which is not the same as making it completely go away, which I, I mean, if I could, I would. Right. But I, I respond to it so much more wisely than I used to. And that is, you know, um, that's to me, you know, the, the, the game is how do we respond wisely to the difficulties in life? Because life will keep bringing them, right? We're going to get old. We're going to get sick. We're going to die. The people around us are going to get old. They're going to get sick. They're going to die. I mean, life brings difficulty. So how do we respond to it wisely is to me, the whole game. Yeah, I, I love that. And, that. and that's a great place to round off this conversation. And I want people to hold on to what you just said. Because it's so true, like figure out that wise way. It's it's there, it's waiting for you. Um, Eric, before I ask you my last question, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah, if you go to oneufeed.net, that's all spelled out, O-N-E-Y-O-U-F-E-E-D.net, you can find the podcast there, you can find the Spiritual Habits Program, um, all the ways to connect with what we're doing. And of course, we'll put the links in the show note for The Unbroken Nation. Eric, my friend, my last question for you. What does it mean to you to be unbroken? I think it means that even with the difficulties that we have in life, there is a to me, there's an underlying unity to all things that, that is, um, it's, it's just deeper than the moment to moment tribulations. And so I think, uh, you know, being unbroken to me is being able to tap into that from time to time, um, and being able to keep hold of that, even in the, even in the difficult moments. So, you know, I think that there will be moments we feel broken because I think life just sometimes does that. But there is, um, there's something deeper than that. Brilliantly said, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. Unbroken Nation, thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see ya. Hey, Unbroken Nation, we'll be right back to the show, but I wanted to let you know that you can grab a copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, for free. If you go to book.thinkunbroken.com, you can download the PDF ebook version of the book and get everything that I know about the baseline of healing trauma for free downloaded to your email right now. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to download your copy of Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma for a PDF for your phone. Again, that is book.thinkunbroken.com. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. 
And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review. And you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at Think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends. And until next time, be unbroken. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.